Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You are listening to The Humane Podcast. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and you are listening to Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to the show. Welcome back, listeners. This is the Humane Podcast, and today we have a guest, Sam Hordesky, who works in the crossroads of UX, product management, and human-centered design. Sam is the founder of Strathern Design and comes with us today with some interesting thoughts on how the entire industry is evolving, not just around COVID, but around design in general. Sam, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you so much for having me, David. Well, you know, we're living in such fascinating times. And I think one of the most important things is understanding that not everything is code. I mean, in 2020, we're seeing so much coming up from no code and low code and all these solutions. And a lot of employees, whether they're new to companies or executives, often wonder, can they be a part of design? Who can do design? Is it only for designers? So love you to start framing this conversation around design of the future. What do you see going on? Well, there's no question that some of the tools that are becoming available now are actually specifically meant to I guess what you might say is democratize design or bring design to the masses. And in some cases, you know, they're doing it in a way that like we don't even 
we don't even notice. So just as an example, you know, I'm a designer and uh, I have a website. And one day when I decided I needed to create a website, I went to a place called Wix and they had this thing called ADI and I didn't really pay that much attention to it, um, but it stands for artificial design intelligence. And it helped me create a website that was very straightforward. Now, it even, I think the thing that for me was the best that it actually took my logo and then changed all the colors to be like to matching the logo. So it turns out that I had just stumbled onto something that um, for Wix is a pretty big deal, which is that, you know, they at least claim in some of their, their material that, you know, they're actually using machine learning and things like that within, within Wix. Now, whether or not that's really true, or if they're just using some sort of standard algorithms, there is absolutely no question that just Joe Blow now can go on to, you know, mo- almost anywhere. Feedly has exactly the same sort of thing where you go on and it'll actually create a website around, you know, some basic questions that that it asks you. And uh, I mean, I think the basic pattern is that it's kind of like a dyadic relationship. And I think we'll talk about that throughout this whole, uh, this podcast, but that it's not that the the machine goes off and just like does a bunch of work and then comes back with the final product. But it's more that there's a interactive relationship between the person who's using it and the computer. And and so they, they go back and forth to arrive at a solution. So that's absolutely what this Wix thing did. Um, and now it's, it's funny that, you know, so several years later I'm researching, okay, what does AI you know, and design look like in the future? And, and Wix pops up. I hadn't even noticed really that technology was being used. It's so fascinating that we look traditionally at website creation and whether you're someone who, you know, codes with like Adobe products like Dreamweaver or WordPress or now even Wix and Squarespace, there's so many solutions out there. And and I think I agree with you, Sam, that I wouldn't traditionally think that there's AI baked in, right? Maybe there's some automation or some blocks or some code snippets, but it's pretty cool now that there's generative design. We've spoken a lot in Humane about generative design in the past. We see companies like Autodesk using it. We see a large retailers and fleet management companies like Keep Trucking using generative design for routes and automation. But it seems that it's here in the design world as well. Yeah. Um, well, I think they're very similar to each other in that, you know, I think the idea for idea for either machine learning or for AI is to be able to generate as much as possible. Now, I don't think we're quite there yet when it comes to, to design, not as far as I can tell, but that's definitely the idea is to reduce the amount of work required on, on the required of the human, I guess. And now thinking of all humans like you and myself, you know, I am not a designer by trade. I'm a data scientist, but I believe in design thinking. You know, I have my design thinking framework for data science. And Mm -hmm. similarly, I love to dabble with PowerPoint and Photoshop and lots of tools. But, you know, not everyone considers themselves the designers. But how can people today get involved in design? Is it available for the masses? Yeah, well, I mean, that's actually a kind of big question. Um, Again, in researching for this podcast, I found all sorts of tools that, you know, their whole purpose in life is to cut out the designer, basically, is to allow the regular man on the street to um, get their work done. So Wix is one example. Now, here's another couple of examples that, again, I've personally been using and hadn't even noticed that there might potentially be AI involved. PowerPoint has a really powerful tool where you can actually go in and you put in all the content and then it'll make various suggestions to you about layout. And um, 
I just discovered it randomly one day when I was working on something. Like I, I definitely didn't know it was there. And my impression was very positive. I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is actually doing a, a pretty good job. It's making some really good recommendations. And I used some of the recommendations that it made. Now, so again, I don't really know what technology is behind it. You know, I know Microsoft does do a lot of artificial intelligence, ML type stuff. Whether they're actually using that or not, you know, you can never really tell. But again, there's no question that just Joe Blow can make a nice looking slide. All they have to do is put in like a graphic and then some text. They can have different groups of text and different pieces of graphics and it'll all, you know, give you lots of options. Yeah, you're, we're looking at it right now on the screen. And Google has exactly the same thing. I haven't played around with it, but again, I'm sure they're developing all sorts of interesting techniques to make design so that non-designers essentially can get good results. You know, when you look at uh, job descriptions out there in the market, almost every role asks, can you build presentations? Can you speak about business results? And ultimately, the de facto software typically ends up being Keynote, Microsoft PowerPoint, or Google Slides. It's incredible to see now that there's these seamless user experiences, and that comes back to UX, you know. Good AI, good data science is at the point where I should not even recognize that it's there. It's just augmenting my experience, helping me be a better business user or a better designer. What else are you seeing about design for the masses? Um, one, and this is actually a Toronto-based company, which is how I ran into it. They used to be called LogoJoy because they were centered around logos. It's now called Looka, L-O-O-K-A. And this one will generate a bespoke logo for you for, you know, not, I don't know if it's 50 bucks or 60 bucks or something like that. And um, actually anyone can just go on and generate whatever they want uh, for free. You only pay once you decide you want a high res image. Now they're also branching out. You can see they're talking about brands. They're, they're branching out into doing actual websites as well. But the logo maker thing is really interesting. And it's, it's just another example of the dyadic relationship that I talked about. It's not like, it just goes in and creates a, you know, asks you what's the name of your company and then creates a logo for you. It asks a variety of questions to understand what kind of field you're in. It asks you, you know, what colors do you like? Like it basically gives you a color grid and then it'll ask you to pick colors. So it does a number of things before generating. Um, oh yeah, here we're looking, see, it actually says, pick some icons that you like. They have nothing to do with necessarily your icon or your company. And then it generates a bunch of, of options for you. And from then on, you then interact with it. You can decide whether to make the logo different or bigger or better or a different color or whatever. And, you know, my impression of it as a designer who works, I, I don't actually make logos. That's, I do a slightly different type of design, but I work with people who are local designers. There's no question that it's not the same quality as if you were really to hire yourself a designer and get a bespoke logo. But at the same time, for 50 bucks, this is giving you a lot. It's a lot better than nothing than you just like creating your own logo, you know, in, in MS Paint or something like that. I really love what's going on in generative design. We even see today in architecture, there's a lot of uh, startups that are helping architects just generate layouts for apartments and condos and workspaces. And you can generate thousands of them almost instantly and then see which ones have the most interesting or unique structure that's great not only for carbon footprint and for living conditions, but for making a dynamic environment. And I think we're seeing, as you mentioned, with Luca and other startups, a lot of that's happening for creating different digital assets 
for the digital media that we're consuming, whether it's on live software or um, synchronous, you know, or asynchronous in real time or, or offline. I think another area we've seen a lot of work that, you know, you and I have talked about offline is um, today one of the big apps that we all use are things like, you know, Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and a lot of these different uh, photo sharing softwares. And what's really interesting about them is they also have different components of machine learning and AI in there. Traditionally, we wouldn't think about it as machine learning and AI. I know as myself, someone who's been in the photo space and owned Canon cameras for years, that I'm a big fan of Lightroom. You know, and Lightroom's had these filters for many, many years, but now we're seeing it with these apps like Instagram and even other apps that help you generate these. Um, what are some of the trends you've seen or some of the apps you've come across? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I never thought of Instagram in terms of like what it does from a filtering point of view is, is all that big a deal, right? I mean, it's making something look old like 23 years ago and it's got scratches or it'll make it brighter or anything like that. But it's clear that um, that's kind of hit a nerve and yeah, there's apps out there that are now basically allowing you to apply some kind of, I guess, template, like a, um, I guess the best way to do it, to think about it is like a style, a style template. So if you want something rendered as in like Salvador Dali, then these apps will actually have templates of Salvador Dali, which you can then apply to either still images or to video. So yeah, two of the apps, and these are what I've seen anyway are actually apps. They're on your phone. So I think the idea is you take a picture, you take a video, and then you process it. One is called Prisma. Another one is called Artisto. I mean, I'm sure you can just go to the, the App Store or iTunes and download them. And again, you know, it, to me, it's a bit interesting in terms of like what really is AI and what is not. You know, like I don't, they definitely talk about how they're using artificial intelligence to create this sort of work. I'm not really sure to what extent it's true, but what is definitely true is that you're able to take a photo or a video and then transform it into something that looks, you know, totally different and actually can be quite professional. So it's just another one of these examples of uh, increasing ability to have tools for, for users that aren't really designers. I think it's also really fascinating that we've been spending a lot of the conversation so far thinking about design for presentations and design for photos. But one of the startups that you just mentioned also is Artisto. And Artisto lets you do these filters for video. So it's amazing to think when you have stopgap motion of 30 or 60 you know, frames per second, you can make your dog look like a painting from Monet or like you're in an art basil fair while you're not. So it's absolutely interesting that the compute has become so readily available that we can just drag and drop and click these interfaces. Yeah, exactly. I mean, think about 30 years ago, what it would take if you were a cinematographer and you wanted to create some kind of pastiche that you know looked like a, a Monet, what would be involved? I mean, that would be an incredibly manual process and be very expensive. And now you can just take a snapshot of your kids and do it in 30 seconds. So, I mean, it is pretty remarkable. And, um, you know, I even know as someone who got involved in the newspaper business back in the 90s and early 2000s when I was, you know, getting into advertising and designing ads and newspaper layouts, so much of it even then was a manual process. Now we're starting to see that the design for the masses is beginning to get automated. If you will, the rote tasks, we're able to help out with them. We're able to now um, have faster workflows. I've seen that, for example, in working with, 
you know, After Effects and Premiere Pro when I'm doing video for education. You know, now I can have all these assets and they're more automated with styles. What are some of the automations that you're seeing going on in the industry? Yeah, so here we get to the heart of the matter, right? Which is like what kind of tools are actually available for designers and how are they actually going to be changing how we do things? And I mean, to be honest, I think it's still very, very early days. So I would not assess it as being particularly mature. There's a lot of interesting tools out there, but they seem like they're more kind of like experiments than they are things that are really genuinely going to change how we do work. Hey listeners, it's Dave Jakobovich from the Humane Podcast, and I've got a great show for you to check out, The Pop Culture Show with Barnes, Leslie, and Cubby. These guys fly through all of the latest pop culture news like TV, movies, gadgets, and cars. Barnes is a total tech geek. He drives a Tesla, flies one of those massive drones, and can't get enough of technology. He's also an actor, and he's in that new Steve Carell movie that just came out called Irresistible. Leslie has an interesting background as she's a power exec at a cable TV network and is down in it every day with musicians, actors, personalities, and has her hand on the pulse of Hollywood gossip. Cubby is the morning show personality on one of New York City's top radio stations. This guy knows everyone and pulls in some really cool guests. These guys have all known each other for over two decades and it shows. They have a really tight show and you can tell that they are all friends. I think that makes a difference when I'm listening to podcasts. It's obvious from their collection of guests that they are connected. Ed Roland from Collective Soul was on a few weeks ago and recently they had the lead singer for Air Supply on with them. It's a pretty solid collection of pop culture talk from all over the map and a huge variety which makes each show unique. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to the Pop Culture Show. One thing that is kind of cool and it's very in the it's in the same vein as PowerPoints and the Google Slides is that Photoshop has a tool. It's called Content Aware Crop. Basically, if you try to rotate something or change uh, change the dimensions, let's say you want to sync, make something portrait into landscape or maybe change its uh, resolution or size. It actually has the ability, and this is way as early as way back as in 2016, to just fill in the background for you. I mean, and I, I mean, it, it's really simple, but it's super cool. And that's another one of these things that would often take, you know, that could take a lot of time, right? To actually have a photo and have to try to pretend to fill in a part of the road that isn't actually there, that could be challenging. And you could even do it in a way where, I mean, even if someone who's really good could make it have be somewhat imperfect and you wouldn't really and you would be able to tell that there was kind of an illustration. So this is that's an example of a really simple technology that's out there. Another one that is a little more specialized is something that Netflix is doing. Now Netflix is doing all sorts of interesting things in AI. I mean that's kind of their their bread and butter, but one thing related to to user interface is just that simple snapshot that shows you what the video is that you're actually about to watch or the movie. And I guess if you think about it, they've got customers all around the world, so they have to deal in God knows how many languages. It's probably, you know, 60 to 100 or something like that. And to actually generate images for each one of those languages for each show sounds like it would be a super daunting task. And so they have um, actually completely automated that process where they've got some kind of system I haven't seen it in operation. I've just read some articles about it. But, you know, once it has the text, so it knows what the text is in 
in all the languages, and then it's got a snapshot. It's actually got various snapshots of of the image itself, and then it's just able to glue them all together. So again, a really huge savings for them in terms of not having to have like this armada of of designers um, creating this stuff. Very much related to that um, is actually something called uh, I think it's FireDrop FireDrop.io. They're also trying to. I mean, they're clearly early stage, but what they do is they are able to like process videos and use large amounts of data to basically output advertisements. And they have some really interesting case studies. And, you know, I don't know, it's always tough to tell when you read a case study on, on any website, like what the real story is. But again, what's clear is that they're able to generate thousands and thousands of different potential candidates for advertisements based on um, a set of input. And again, this is something that would normally require a total, you know, an army of people. So again, it's early days, but it's very clear that um, for places that in, in marketing, this is super common, right? For all of a sudden, if someone, if, if you change your logo, if you change the color of the logo, then you've got all this collateral, right? And then what, and what happens if you've got all this collateral is that, and I personally been a part of it, where then all of a sudden the marketing department for the next six weeks, all they're doing is changing PowerPoint templates and, you know, all of the collateral that they have, everything that's, that they're giving out to sales, it becomes this huge effort. And often they need to hire a, an agency to help with it. So you can sort of see that I don't think it's quite there yet, but in the future, something that right now is a real pain and is a, just a really big effort is going to be something that will be, you know, highly simplified and that machines will basically be able to do for us. You know, given everything that we're seeing in the world around COVID, I had like a similar idea around automation, but what I'm seeing here with FireDrop is really interesting for the design automation and potentially that you know, if you have your brand assets, they can automatically update it everywhere. And that might be what they're working towards as the grand vision. I mean, similarly, one conversation I've, I've had with a few colleagues is, you know, we have so much communication between all of our tools, whether it's WhatsApp or Facebook or LinkedIn or phone or text or voicemail. And often it's very difficult to remember where the conversation occurred. And there's really nothing out there today to sync everything in one place and then automatically retrieve that information. I think AI is gonna be part of that solution, whether it's natural language processing with the text or the audio or the video, I think we're gonna get there and we're starting to see those MVPs. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we wanna help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, 
Our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. But, you know, more focused around UX research, as you've been describing, I think UX teams can start to work a lot smarter and they can be empowered to um, iterate with product design a lot faster with some of these tools. Now, you, in addition to working in UX, have worked in product management and human-centered design. How have you seen your workflow change with the emergence of some of these and other tools? Well, there's no question that there's been a big evolution in the tool set. Um, you know, I'm not so sure how much of it has anything to do with machine learning, but it's very clear. I mean, I think at a really basic level, the de facto tool that everyone was using 10 years ago, maybe we're now talking 15 years ago, was called OmniGraffle. And it was a Macintosh-only piece of software. And OmniGraffle was really awesome, but I never had a Mac, so I was never able to use it. But so I, my used as a cheap the sort of cheap replacement was Visio. So then, you know, about seven years later, yeah, so OmniGraffle still going, still exists, but, you know, I, I don't really know anyone who uses it. So then the next thing that happened was Sketch. Now, people still talk about Sketch, but Sketch is clearly on the way out. And again, um, they kind of, just like somehow Sketch was able to displace OmniGraffle, Sketch is being displaced right now. But Sketch, again, was the de facto tool for UX designers, UI and UX designers for a long time. And, and like I said, it's still being used. So from 2010 on. Now, what was slightly different about Sketch is that it allowed you to do sort of pixel level manipulation. So OmniGraffle really was like kind of a workflow type tool where you would just um, document like what the workflow of a particular experience would look like, but it was harder to make it look, you know, pixel perfect. But Sketch completely enabled that. So then the next phase, which we're right in right now, and there's just a huge proliferation of tools, uh, is, is basically the online collaboration space. And again, Sketch appears to have missed it because um, now, now they're desperately trying to catch up, but it's kind of too late because people have already moved. So the tool that I use is called Figma. And I, I had never even heard of it. Literally two and a half years ago, I had never heard of it. And some one time I went to an event that was sponsored by Figma. So it just shows advertising actually sometimes works. I, I So I went to Figma and I was like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, it was basically what Sketch does, but it does it all online. And so it allows you to sort of have a collaborative experience. Other tools, I mean, that's Figma. Envision is a, has become a really popular tool, which again, wasn't really being used 10 years ago, and it's mainly used for prototypes. And then the other big player is Adobe. Adobe used to have a tool called Fireworks, and they kind of adopted it to, called, it's called IXD. I can't remember exactly what the, I expect the XD is something like experience design. So yeah, so two of the main players today, Figma and IXD, they're kind of fighting it out. And again, what's different about them is they're SaaS. They're essentially SaaS solutions. They've gone to the cloud. All your work lives on, on the cloud. And the reason that's beneficial, and in fact, their entire business model is about having teams. So teams can all work together on the same thing. And you can see what as an example, you have these things called components. Like components are the basic elements of a user interface design. And let's say the rounding on a corner of a button changes and you want to trigger that all throughout your entire user interface. Well, that's what a tool like Figma or XD 
is built for. And in fact, like their charging model is very interesting. Just a, a loaner like me can go in and use any of these software for free. It's only once you know you get into a company where you're having shared software libraries that they actually start charging you. It's so incredible to think about that, right? I think a lot of software, even in data science uh, space, you know, gives community editions and education editions and individual contributor editions for free or very uh, affordable, especially as you're getting started. But you're right. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of business in the enterprise space, even in the design thinking space for data science and AI. Enterprise is where the business is at, right? These are the businesses that drive America, that drive Canada, and that drive the globe. And enterprises can use these tools to improve their workflows. I know a lot of the tools you've mentioned about the evolution of design with, you know, photos and, and frameworks and websites. We've even seen that as well in the video space. One of the ones I really enjoy is Frame.io out of New York City. And I think they do pretty much what Figma does, but for video. So you can take, you know, video for music videos and webinars and podcasts and very quickly do that workflow. Someone could be in Africa, someone could be in London and the other person's in New York City and they're able to collaborate. So I think you're right, we're seeing a disruption or this new evolving of co-editing throughout the design space. Yeah, and as I mean, that's really interesting. I'd never never heard of that product, but and I see it's talking about you know approvals and feedback and that sort of thing. You know, there is just this huge proliferation of tools out there. I, I mentioned some of the big ones that have have gotten traction, but I, I would expect two to five years from now, I'll be talking about something completely different, and definitely something. You know, I, I'm a active Figma user. I don't actively use IXD, but there's no question that there is a lot of room for improvement when it comes to collaboration in Figma. And I think those tools are just going to become increasingly, you know, joined with Slack or, you know, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily predicting that it will specifically have Slack um, integrations. I'm not really sure what the best direction to go for them is, but it will just become more and more easy to talk to each other and have live collaboration. Now, it's super interesting when we talk about these tools in collaboration. You know, myself, I've always played with different tools. I talked about Premiere Pro and, and Photoshop and Lightroom. In fact, there was one point where I was very involved in hackathons uh, in the coding space. I love going there as a data scientist, taking data sets and then working. Usually on our team, we'll have at least four people, a data scientist, a software engineer, a business strategy person, and then a UX designer, front end type of individual or product designer. And I remember a lot of the hackathons used Sketch. And as you mentioned, now everything's moving to Figma. And for me, it's almost mind blowing. Like, where did Sketch go wrong? Or, you know, why do you think Figma took over? Like, where is that space been in the industry that's allowed it was just, Figma? Yeah. yeah, it was just 100% about the cloud. I mean, it's, it's that simple. Sketch just didn't go to the cloud fast enough. And they allowed other entrants to the market beat them to it. And now they're, you know, furiously backpedaling to go to the cloud. And, but that's that story you see over and over and over again in this industry, it's not, not specific to, uh, to them. It just, it, ha it happened to them and, you know, they might be able to catch up, but seems like the momentum has left them behind. Yeah. And when we think about the cloud, I mean, that's everything of the talk today. I mean, even whether it's during COVID or the new normal of the world, I mean, 
all the major apps are on the cloud. We look at collaborative apps like Zoom and Google Hangouts that a lot of our conversations have been on in the last several months. These are all cloud enabled. In fact, you don't have to install Zoom on your machine. You could just run it in the browser. So it's so fascinating that everything's gone to the cloud. That's been the big disruptor, but it's not the only disruptor. I mean, the future is happening fast and um, I love reading trends and seeing where things are going. Traditionally, I follow them in data science and AI. One of my mentors uh, and, and book authors that I love reading out of New York, Amy Webb, talks about her trends mostly around AI and data science with generative design. But I'm curious for where do you see the future going in the design industry? Yeah, well, it's, it's another one of these things where like you can just barely see the kernel of it happening. You know, this is one of these things where like, if I was inclined to do a startup, you know, this is the sort of thing I might do. But so let me take a step back and talk about like, what is the general trend I mentioned in terms of like what, what an artificial intelligence application does with respect to how it talks to humans. Right. And I mentioned earlier, this sort of dyadic relationship. And so what I see in, you know, industry after industry is that you feed this AI machine, you know, you feel you feed the network with tons of data and then it comes up with some solutions. But it's not like it comes up with the final solution that you just run with. It's something that is an interactive relationship with the user. So the user you know, tweaks it, modifies it, gives it more information or, or makes a selection and then goes and asks for, for more. And in fact, some of this you know, online code generation where like you supposedly can like generate code without actually doing the code yourself, it's very, very similar is it produces a bunch of code based on something you've told it. And it's really just because it's been, it's been trained on like thousands or millions of, of lines of lines of code. So let's look at how that trend might play out in user interface. And there's a bit of a problem. And this is why, you know, this, this is an area right for disruption or for some kind of creation is that it's very difficult to get lots and lots of data about user behavior. So, there's a lot of discussion about Google Analytics or you'll, people, as soon as you talk about user behavior, people say Google Analytics. But Google Analytics is actually very basic when it comes to what it actually tells you. So if you have a web page or like a, if you have a web app that's written in JavaScript and has a lot going on, lots of clicks and drags and drops and all sorts of complex interactivity, Google Analytics doesn't tell you what people are doing on that page. All it really tells you is you know, whether they went to the page, how long they stayed on the page, and it might have a few basic pieces of information about what you did there. So as a result, there's an entire industry now that's building tools that that's what they do is they provide analytics that are input to product managers or to user experience designers. So the first one that I ever came across was is called Pendo, pendo.io. And Pendo does a lot of different things. But one of them is to provide analytics um, about how users are actually using your software. Now, after having done some research for actually some work that I'm doing, I've, I've learned that there's actually lots of other players out there. Amplitude is one of them, and Indicative is another one. You know, th they all do very, very similar things, which is you add a minor piece of code to your SaaS platform, and then it gives you all this rich information about how your product is being used. So right now, if you have a SaaS application and you wanna find out how people are using it in a really robust way, you actually have to buy this, you know, buy a third, either build it yourself, which is a lot of work, or 
you have to buy one of these third-party solutions. So that what I'm saying is that the data, this massive amount of data, isn't really available, right? In in other, especially in the academic industry, right? They have like these huge libraries of faces and there's huge libraries of of other things for, you know, for people that are working on in just driverless cars. Any kind of library that you want to think of in the academic field, it exists. But there is no public library or any kind of mass library of data about how people use products. So what I think is going to start to happen is that some of these tools, like Indicative or, or whichever that becomes successful, will eventually begin to pool all their data together and put AI on top of it and actually be able to suggest user interfaces to you based on all the data that it's been looking at. So that to me is the clear trend just because that's what's going on in every other industry. It's just you don't really see it right now. You only see the, you know, the initial kernel of it. You know, I know we've seen with different marketers and publishers where using this information you're describing, whether from Pendo, Amplitude, Indicative, or even Google Analytics, takes all this information on you and you can get sort of custom Google ads or customized Facebook ads. So, you know, if you get an ad for a new Mercedes-Benz car, you might get one that's the color blue and I might get one that's the color red based on our preferences and search history. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that customized experience for sure. It sounds like we're moving there. Another interesting area that we're moving that we've been seeing a lot in the last year and a half has been about no code and low code solutions, which I think is similar to a lot of the products that you've been describing here today, Sam, that some of them are, you know, how do you just click and drag or can you use different extensions? But even in the software design space, we're seeing at their software like Bubble and even Airtable and other software that's helping us generate uh, software. It's amazing to see that it's not just design that can be generated, but also software. I mean, what are some of the other thoughts that you have in this space? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that surprised me once I really started to look around is, is that it still is very immature or, or early. I kind of expected, you know, you just hear sound bites on the radio all the time about like, oh, an AI is painting or an AI is, is able to compose. And so when I hear things like that, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I, we can't be too far away from an AI being able to code. But when you actually go and dig into it, it's still, it, it's using that dyadic model that I'm talking about. It, the technology is not at a point where it could literally just like go and do its own thing um, and come back with something super complex. There are absolutely are low code options for people who either don't know anything about coding or who want you know a template to start out so that you can start modifying it. But we're still really far away from the day where like we don't need developers because an AI will be doing it. And that for me is sort of a, a key insight because I was, you know, kind of Part of the thing I was kind of wondering is like, well, you know, how much change is going to be needed from a designer's point of view to, you know, to be a designer? How much change is going to be needed if you're a software developer? And people make, you know, you hear these bold claims that, you know, we won't really need knowledge workers or we won't need people, we won't need computer science majors or we won't need designers. No one can predict what's going to happen 50 to 75 years from now. But I think that, you know, I will not still be practicing user experience when the day comes that the machines can do the design for me. And similarly, I, I'm not sure, you know, the day may come where, where machines can actually do their own programming, but I, I don't think I'll be a practitioner when that happens. 
And, you know, the machines are slowly but surely doing their own programming. I'm generally an optimist, just like yourself, Sam. I think it's a humans and machines type of collaboration. You know, I've even dabbled with platforms like Serenade. This is similar to some of these hackathons where people today are able to use their voice to code. It's less on the design, but more about these blocks and modulars. And, you know, this has just been a trend last couple of years, you know, many different programming languages, even design frameworks like HTML, CSS and JavaScript are able to be used. You know, it's not very advanced yet, but I think we're, we're going to be moving there over time. Yeah. One thing I did notice, there's a lot of testing frameworks. So it seems like this might, it might be a more attractive problem, but if you, you give these products code then they come up with um, tests for the code or they give you a big leg up on the testing. And there seems to be a, I don't have the name at the tip of my tongue of any one in particular, but um, there seem to be a number of solutions where that's kind of what they're aiming for. That's right. And I, I think ultimately it's going to go back to not just generative design, but ultimately even AI systems that can create AI systems. You know, a few months ago on Humane, I featured uh, Travis Dirks from San Francisco and Berkeley when they're working on actually generating AI systems that generate AI. Uh, so I think we'll get there, but that's still a little bit more Westworld, a little bit more uh, towards the future. You know, wrapping our entire conversation together around UX, around product management, human-centered design, and, and what data scientists, what design thinkers, what executives can take away from this conversation today What's a call to action that you have for our listeners, Sam? Boy, that's a good question. What's a call to action? I think that, you know, it's it's clear that designers who are just doing rote, relatively rote activities, that their future is limited. So just like, and it's not clear how long that's going to last. Like, so if you look at Amazon Go, Amazon Go has gone absolutely from out of nowhere to this place where you can very clearly see that if you're someone who works a cash register, like your job is under serious threat, like 10 years from now, it simply may not exist. And, you know, we can't predict how fast it's going to go, but it's going to go at some rate and it's going to be pretty quickly. So there's literally probably 10 million people in the US who who are going to be out of a job. So I, I think in terms of call to action for people who are kind of all they're doing is taking one thing and moving it to another set of colors or do a different font or basically doing some of that sort of unpleasant work uh, that I was talking about, I, I do think that that's going to be mechanized, you know, within 10 years. And so th those people need to up-level their skills so that they're doing something more complex that a, a computer can't do today and may not be able to do for some time. You know, and I think uh, as we're tying this together, even thinking of upskilling and reskilling, all the software mentioned today, if you want to learn Photoshop, you want to learn Sketch, you want to learn Figma. I mean, there are so much available resources online or even with, you know, individuals like yourself, Sam, that can take people to the next level. You know, myself as, again, the data scientist, I've been playing around with Figma on LinkedIn Learning, just like playing around, seeing how I can learn the tool. And it's so seamless. It's amazing to see that it's, easier than sketch. Yeah, well that's what so that's what the trend of the cloud has brought us and and that trend that we were talking about earlier also about everything going enterprise is that just you and me Joe Blow can actually get access to all of this software. So I've mentioned before Envision and Envision is another really big one because it's used a lot for prototyping. Envision 
is purchased for the enterprise, but it's not purchased, but an individual it's, it's free. So, um, all these tools that I'm talking about, including all the, you know, millions of competitors that are trying to come out there, you and I can just go there and, and use it to our heart's content. And, you know, they'll only get money out of us once we start a company. <laughs> well, Sam, thank you so much for being with us on the Humane Podcast. Sam Horodesky, founder of Strathern Design. Thanks a lot for having me. It was a really interesting conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. What do you think? Did the show measure up to your thoughts on artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education? Listeners, I want to hear from you so that I can offer you the most relevant, trend-setting, and educational content on the market. You can reach me directly by email at david at humanepodcast.com. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review on your preferred podcasting app, and tune in to more episodes of Humane. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.